Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone, and is a project of EEI, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Vietor, Vice President of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Lon Huber, the Vice President of Rate Design and Strategic Solutions at Duke Energy. Welcome to The Current, Lon. Hey, great to be here. Thanks. Well, you've kind of, not you specifically, but the company has been in the news over the last couple of months because you've entered into what I think is a really innovative solar settlement. And of course, I'm talking about the South Carolina Solar Choice Settlement. And people have been asking a lot of questions about what it is and how exactly you made it work. So I'd love to get your take and I'll really start by asking, what do you think of the settlement overall? And how does this differ from other solar proceedings and solar settlements in other states? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's Good place to start. And there's a lot there. This is really a first of its kind type of settlement. It looks at DERs holistically instead of in their own little silos that other states tend to to view these things in. So you say, well, energy efficiency has a different valuation than solar and maybe battery storage is a different one. And let's just have all different separate programs not talking to each other. This completely changes that paradigm. And what we're doing is knocking down those silos and treating DERs in a similar manner and bringing out their synergies. So what this does is it first gets the rate design right. It aligns rate design with cost to serve. And we look at cost to serve through two different lenses. One is embedded costs. So those are the costs that have already been invested into the system. So think of it as every year at a dinner party, the check comes and you have to figure out how to divvy it out, right? The other lens is marginal. That's cost to be incurred going forward. And so we look at it through different lenses and we design the rate design to essentially eliminate that embedded cost subsidy and as much as possible be in line with marginal costs. So that is somewhat unique. A lot of states, when they look at this issue, they pick one lens or multiple lenses. They let stakeholders fight it out or they use a completely different valuation method than they do their other DER programs that they've had for 10, 20 years. So we didn't rock the boat with all the things that mattered to get to this really innovative settlement. We built on existing commission practices and values that were there the entire time. We didn't recreate all new methods of valuation or anything like that. So ultimately it produced a rate design that has several innovations from critical peak pricing to min bill to grid access fees, and then a linkage to a upfront incentive that is available if a solar customer engages in a smart thermostat DR program. So you get synergies between the solar, which is heavy on energy production and summer peak with the thermostat that's targeted more towards winter peak, creating a a pretty nice combo resource. You just talked about how it's built on existing practices and existing precedent. We're talking to a broad audience all across the country. When you think about bringing a solution like this to other states in your service area, how complicated is that? Because the, the foundation 
of policy within each of these commissions are, are so different. Like, how do you think about that problem? Yeah, I don't think it's that difficult to bring to other states. Almost every state has an energy efficiency program where they have different cost tests and they have all the inputs to those cost tests. So they know the benefits and the costs of different DERs. Now, solar can be a little bit of a different animal. It exports, right? So simplify the equation, take exports off the table, look at self-consumption and try to line it to the standard EE measures out there. And every state in the energy efficiency program, there's all different sorts of measures and sometimes CHP and solar hot water can be included. So I would say broaden that tent so you get standardized treatment and then you can start to link different beneficial technologies together to create a one plus one equals three type of transaction. So because most states already have a valuation method, different cost tests, different programs that are already out there with trade allies and, and so forth, just build off of that. The rate design we put together is completely doable. More and more states have time of use rates. And this is the foundation. This is a static TOU rate with dynamic price signals on top of it. That can be done relatively easy. And then you just have to make sure your billing system is capable of the minimum bill and the netting and, and so forth. The first time I heard about this, first time somebody smart explained it to me, it's like, you know, it just seems like they've figured out a concept to provide asymmetric benefit. You may get hurt in one bucket, but you get a benefit in another bucket and therefore customers are held harmless or are put in a better position than they were in before. Do you think that's a fair characterization? Well, the beauty when you put it into these different cost lens is that you can start to divvy up the costs and the benefits between participants and the general customer base. The industry is going through a large transition and system values are constantly changing, like fuel prices, right? They're on the rise all of a sudden. That might be transitory, but rate design isn't that great at being very nimble to address all these dynamic things that happen in the market. So you have to do the best that you can, but you can't just keep filing new tariffs and, you know, every few months. So the beauty with getting into the energy efficiency DSM world is the fact that you have regular program implementation plans that you can change up depending on how the market is playing out. You can say for every dollar spent, you get 2.5 in return that go to the general customer base. You can make those adjustments or you don't, oh, we have too much solar. You were going to address the incentives accordingly. So it gives you that nimbleness to ensure that you're getting a right allocation of costs and benefits to the right parties. How'd you get there? Like these solar proceedings in particular are so contentious. And I think something that a lot of our listeners may not know is that you used to work in Arizona and worked for Aruco, a uh, consumer advocate out there in Arizona at the height of the solar war. So you've been in a lot of these rooms and have seen very contentious conversations get more contentious. What happened that caused these interveners and really everybody to just be willing to look at things differently? <laughs> I really have been fortunate enough to be a part of major NEM proceedings in multiple different states as a consultant after serving as consumer advocate in Arizona in that capacity. I actually haven't changed my opinion much. Back then, I always felt like you should get people in the room, talk rationally and stop being hyperbolic <laughs> and, and treating this as a political campaign, but work together because most parties have all the same goals, which is let's get more clean energy out there at the best price possible. That's a pretty common goal. And when you have that common goal, I think you can work together and form something 
that is constructive and gives everybody a little bit of a win. Now, will everybody be happy? Absolutely not. But I use that same type of approach here where I got parties together before the proceeding even kicked off. We had a lot of stakeholder meetings, large ones, and then deep dives with a smaller set of stakeholders that were really willing to get into the numbers and have frank conversations. And so that transparency is important. The analytics we were working on really helped move the conversation. We were opened up the hood to them and worked together and we got to a, a great conclusion, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. My general approach is get ahead of it, have those frank discussions and try to find where that win-win is. If you think about the overlapping Venn diagram, there's this very small portion in the middle where there's that overlap. I do believe that you can find it, especially if you're dealing with reasonable counterparties. Yeah. So take me into your head and into that room when you all started that at the beginning of the stakeholder meetings. What were those early meetings like? We all put on war paint and gladiator gear and went to town. No, it was, you know, you start with the basics, which is, hey, here's what we're tasked with accomplishing. And then we went into basically best practices or what other states are doing. And we talked through, okay, well, this was Arizona's approach, right? This is New York's approach. And you could start to have that dialogue and it's not confrontational. It is, here's what we're set to accomplish. Here's what we are learning from other states. Here's some things that are unique to our state. And then from there, it's really sitting down and, and saying, what is a win in your eyes? And, and just being completely frank and here's red lines on our end and then working from there. Stakeholder engagement is something I hear about from companies constantly. How can we do it? How can we do it better, et cetera? And you sum it up, like, how do you do it? You invite all the interested parties into the room and you start talking about what we're going to try to do together and see where it goes. And it seems like this instance was one that landed in a place where people got enough of what they wanted that they could come together and sign on the dotted line. Exactly. Yep. You said it right. You've been involved in net metering since the beginning of those fights. Do you think this settlement is something that will be replicated in other jurisdictions and can maybe bring the mercury down a little bit in some of those discussions? I was sure hoping that, but to be honest, this t topic is almost like a culture war topic these days. I thought this would be a, a relatively straightforward set of proceedings in South Carolina and the Office of Regulatory Staff hired E3 to help them through it. And, you know, E3 is not keen on the fact that if you're integrating rooftop solar into the DSM framework, they were crazy that we used our current cost of service methodology and not a new one in between rate cases. And obviously the regulatory norm is you, you keep consistent all your rates. You don't change up the game before a rate case for one particular class of customers. So it's been very charged and a lot of strong words and testimony back and forth. It's been my experience that usually there's going to be some party that is just very, very upset about it. So I don't think you're ever going to really get the temperature down to the degree that you would hope and create some space some, for some rational back and forth. But I think it, it will help solve a good chunk of that equation. And at least there probably won't be billboards and radio ads, right? In general, I do think what we put together will bring things down to some degree, but usually there's always going to be a party or two that going to be more on the extreme side.
Absolutely. The approach, this holistic approach you took to this rate design, had, it just it just had different impacts than ways we've seen uh, rate design done in other jurisdictions. How are you thinking about applying that approach and methodology to sort of other rate focus problems? I didn't have a set solution in mind when I started this. I wasn't like, hey, I need to have demand charges, right? I never had that mentality. I listened to stakeholders. The whole point was, well, where do we want to end up? And then let's figure out all the tools that work for the parties to get to that end point. And so that's why you see all these different mechanisms in the rate design, that minimum bill where we collect $30 of grading customer costs through, through that mechanism. But if you size the system correctly, you might not see much of that charge. And it's somewhat simpler to understand than a demand charge. Same thing with grid access fee. It's just, you know, fee based on size of the system. And the other thing, when we stuck with the all volumetric TOU rate, it's much easier to calculate savings from that rate in solar than introducing other complicated rate mechanisms. But at the end of the day, it reached the same economics as if I just put a big demand charge on there, right? So we, we crafted that rate design to work for everybody, but still get to that end goal. And that to me is the approach I want to take to other issues, other technologies, making sure that you've got something that's customer friendly, but still achieves the objectives you need that rate design to achieve. And we need rate design to do more and more, frankly, because we're moving to an era where we've got variable load meeting variable supply side resources. And before it's dispatchable supply meets variable load. Well, that is all changing as regulated investor and utilities. Most of us have deep carbon commitments to decarbonize. So we're entering a more complex world where we need to ask more of things that normally we haven't used as a tool, like rate design, like smart technology at the grid edge, because it's going to take everything to meet the, the decarbonization goals cost effectively while electrifying and dealing with more and more extreme weather events. Yeah. One thing that I was struck with in this proposal and settlement is that you did something that was unique and maybe somewhat taboo in giving everybody a win. A lot of people on the IOU side of the equation think minimum bills are bad, but you had stakeholders in the room who that was the pelt they needed to hang on the wall. And so you just sat down and did some math and said, okay, if this is a starting point, this is a necessary component to this deal. How can we put everything together in the stack to achieve something that's workable? That to me is what's the really most novel of the approach that you took. Right. It would have been much easier if I just said, Hey, here's just a huge demand charge. Thanks. Done. Right. right? <laughs> My hope here is that people will tune into this discussion and understand that this is an opportunity to just think about things differently and figure out how to give people what they need and still come out with something on the back end that isn't perfect and has components that you don't like, but all together, it's something that works. Yeah. And to think about just what other technology pairings can we do to address concerns, right? Like if, if solar doesn't help you with your winter peak, what can you have solar customers also install to help with that? Right. Yep. And to bring again, a more, more holistic resource that can respond to a system that's becoming increasingly dynamic. Hmm. 
That's cool. I, I hadn't thought about it that way. There's a, a discussion in Washington right now about all these tax credits, clean technology tax credits, and it's interesting. Some of the things that might be achieved in tax policy around things like energy storage or hydrogen or smart meters, like whatever the heck it is, maybe you could create similar incentive packages within rate design to get customers to move. Yeah, it, it's just a shame. The things that I've seen in other states where it's like, yeah, solar customer goes solar and they don't have to worry about anything else. Their bill's pretty much zero. Why get a smart thermostat enrolled in DR? Why participate in other energy efficiency programs? It's not just solar users, but the point is that we're being so myopic and siloed that maybe we should start to think about how all these DERs can work together. Let's get smart inverters out there. Let's get smart home panels while you know, you're out there and get it vehicle to home ready. There's so many things coming down the line where we have to start treating these technologies more holistically and integrated and visible to the grid. And I just think it's time to move on from this historic siloed approach. Now, obviously that everyone agrees. And in, in my case, E3 is adamantly against that type of future, but others, both solar, SIA, Sunrun, they have showed that they're on board. And you can see that in some of the business models. Sunrun has a lot of storage capabilities that they bring to bear, right? With, with the solar now smart ther thermostats new to them and they're willing to take that jump of like, yeah, let's start adding other technology. As more and more products come online to offset energy use, to increase energy efficiency, to increase renewable production, electric vehicles, whatever the heck it is, electric companies are thinking a lot about like, okay, so how do I maintain the role of the energy expert in my customer's life and existence? It seems like some of the things that you're talking about here, like Duke will be positioned to continue to be a part of that conversation. You're not going to be the one selling all the products, but you're certainly going to be a significant component there. And maybe there is a future world where you can build more bespoke solutions that your customers are looking for. Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, that's the beauty of, of getting solar into the energy efficiency world. And again, you know, not the exports, right? That is different. But we have qualified vendors. So we can take lessons from that of qualifying solar installers, make sure that they understand the rate plans. We're going to be putting an online calculator for customers to provide an objective view of their savings. It's things like that we can do and that we have been doing for years. It's just nobody thought like, hey, should we also apply all these great programs to solar, right? That's one of my biggest messages. There are differences between all different types of resources, but as if you can knock out those differences and then those similarities, you build on that, get them into these programs that have been proven really successful and go from there and scale. Well, Lon Huber, innovator in rate design. Thanks for coming in and, and sharing your perspective and experience in South Carolina. Yeah, appreciate the conversation. Thanks for inviting me to, to chat with you today. We hope you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.e ei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.